Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If you're watching online, it's great to have you with us as well. And we are in week number four of the series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And we're uh, working our way through for this series a book by Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor and author in Oklahoma. And so there's an anchor passage of scripture that we have kind of been looking at and that has been kind of the focus or the foundation of this series and what we've been talking about. So I just want to remind us of that again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says, this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So that's what we're doing with this series. We are learning how to take captive every thought, the war that happens in our minds, and make it obedient to Christ. That's what we're looking at. And so for week four, uh, to get us started this morning, I'd love to just ask you a question. What causes you to panic? What in your life, when it happens, causes you to experience like a panic rising up inside of you? Um... Is it when your bank account gets down to a certain number? Does, is there this panic that starts up? Uh, is it the scale when you step on it and it says a certain number? Does that cause panic to start rising up inside of you? Um, is it maybe grades, a bad grade this time of year? Everybody's kind of wrapping up school. What is it that causes you to panic? I have a friend who, uh, he'll text you, and if you don't respond to his text within a certain amount of time, he just freaks out. He just begins to panic. Anybody else have that issue happen in their life? Like, literally, he'll just start sending you texts if you don't respond. Like, are, are you okay? Or did I make you mad? Or are, you, are we still friends? Is it all right? Sometimes I will literally, like, when he texts me, I'll just wait, like, 24 hours just to, just to see what it does to him, just to watch him unravel when I don't respond. Uh, but what causes you to panic? What, what is it in your life? You set your cell phone down and walk away and you can't find it again. What is it that causes you to panic? Whatever that thing is, if I could, I'd like to introduce you to the part of your brain that is at work whenever you're experiencing panic. Okay, so this is what's called the amygdala. It's this small, almond-shaped, almond-sized part of your brain that is responsible for your emotions, it's the seat of your emotions, and it's the seat of your survival instincts as well. Some people actually refer to it as the lizard brain. Uh, basically, the amygdala, what it does is whenever you experience a situation, like an emergency situation that causes you to panic, your amygdala lights up and it triggers this response where your body will just dump a huge amount of adrenaline into your bloodstream. Now, that's a really good thing if you're in an emergency situation, right? That's a wonderful thing. If you're walking on a trail and a bear jumps out in front of you, I don't know if bears jump out in front of people like this. 
It's sounding kind of dumb now that I said it. But if, if that happens, your amygdala is a wonderful thing because it triggers that fight or flight response inside of you. It dumps a bunch of adrenaline into your system and gives you what you need in that moment to escape. The problem with your amygdala is that it's not objective. It doesn't have the ability to think objectively. So if I could, let me introduce you to another part of your brain. This is called your prefrontal cortex. And notice how much larger it is than the amygdala. Your prefrontal cortex is the logical part of your brain. It's the part of your brain that you use to think rationally and reasonably about things. So if your amygdala is your twitchy, over-caffeinated, amped up, high blood pressure cousin, your prefrontal cortex is your calm, reasonable, logical uncle who has a law degree. Okay, so what I want you to see is God created you this way. God gave you the logical part of your brain, the much larger part of your brain, to keep the emotional part of your brain in check. Why, why does that matter? Here's why that matters. What, what this means for us is you actually have a God-given ability to choose the way that you respond to situations in your life. Praise God for that. That's good news. You were created that way by God to where you have the ability to logically think and choose how you're going to respond when there's a crisis, when there's a situation that causes you to panic, when you feel fear rising up inside of you, you don't have to just be carried along by those emotions. You don't have to just spiral out of control with that. You actually have the ability by God giving you that way, creating you that way to choose something different. In fact, you see the writers of the Bible doing this all the time. I'll give you one example. Uh, this is King David writing in Psalm 42, verse 5. He says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, do you see what David did right there? Well, what he did is he's acknowledging, he's recognizing, I'm downcast, I'm disturbed. He's acknowledging what's happening inside of him. There's something inside of me that's not right. But then what he does is he, he basically the prefrontal cortex of his brain engages and he's, and he's like commanding himself, put your hope in God. You can choose where you're going to fix your gaze, where you're going to put your focus. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's what David's doing. He's choosing to praise God anyway, even in the midst of the situation he's facing. You guys remember the first few days of COVID? Um, I know like nobody wants to remember back that far, but if you could for a moment, remember March of 2020, you know, those first few days where everything was shutting down, everything was closing, and there was just this like low-grade fear and panic that was just kind of spreading everywhere. Um, uh, maybe day two, maybe day three of where everything is shut down, uh, I was just feeling so overwhelmed because we, I'd never led the church through a time like that. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. I didn't know a lot. There were all kinds of questions coming at me as the leader of uh, this church and our network as well, the Zero Collective. And so, uh, you know, I, I had no idea what to do. You may not realize this, but we actually had no live stream. Those of you watching online, we actually had no live stream when in March of 2020. We had this 
thing that we were doing with Facebook, but we didn't really pay, you know, care who was watching or whatever. And now suddenly it's like we had no way to connect with people. And so what I did in that time where I was feeling so overwhelmed is I went to a place that I love to go uh, to pray and to just, um, you know, be quiet and think. And so I went to Riverside Park. My family and I, we used to live for 13 years right across from Riverside Park on the north side of downtown. And so I went to Riverside Park just to walk. And I get there and it's a beautiful day and there is no one else at Riverside Park. It's just crazy. It never happens. There was no other car in the parking lot. I get out, and I'm walking the river walk, and I am completely by myself. I assume the rest of you were all, like, hunkered down in your houses with mountains of toilet paper that you were just like, <laughs> that's, where I, that's where you must have been. But I'm, I'm walking the river walk, and I'm just wringing my hands. And I'm, pr- I'm praying. I'm crying out to God. But I'm literally like, God, you got to save us. you got to fix this. you got to show me what to do. You know, you, you got to intervene. I mean, that, that was what I was doing and how I was praying, just basically freaking out. As I'm walking along, the most amazing thing happened. I I started, suddenly started to hear music and I'm wondering like, is this just in my head? Uh, But as I'm walking, it doesn't sound like I'm walking toward the music. What it sounds like is the music is coming toward me. In fact, it sounds like it's coming up from behind me. And so no joke, I turn around on the path and coming behind me, there's this guy who is riding one of those longboards, you know, those, those skateboards. And so he's, he's riding along, African-American guy, long dreads. I swear to you, he looked exactly like Bob Marley. <laughs> he's got no shirt on and he's got a guitar around his neck. I couldn't make this up if I tried. <laughs> and he is playing the guitar and he is singing as he's like riding on the longboard down Riverside Park. And uh, I mean, and he sounds amazing. I couldn't even tell you what he was singing at that time, but I just remember it was like the most incredible, beautiful sound I'd heard. And so as, as I'm just turning and staring at this guy, there's nobody else in the park. As he comes into view and as he starts to come by me, like spontaneously, without even meaning to, I just start clapping. I'm just like, yeah, do it. You're doing it, man. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, I'm like giving him thumbs up. I'm cheering for him. I'm clapping. And as he, as he goes by me, he looks at me and he gives me this look as if I'm the weirdo. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I'm just clear. I'm cheering, clapping as he goes out of view. I'm not kidding you. Like it's, it inspired me so much. I had tears in my eyes watching this guy go by. And so as I was reflecting on that, as I'm walking, I'm like, why did that inspire me so much? Here's why I think it moved me. It's because in this moment where everything was shutting down, there was all this, you know, hand wringing and fear and worry and worst case scenarios being played out in everybody's head. Here is this guy who is just choosing a completely different response. He's just choosing to just sort of be, you know, in his own little world. He's just choosing to respond in a completely different way. And something about that is incredibly motivating and inspiring. And so uh, the principle that we're looking at today, the movement four in the book is the rejoice principle. It's this idea of revive your soul and reclaim your life. You have a God-given ability to choose your response and to reclaim your life. But how do you do that? Right? How do we actually do that. I'm not suggesting that you lose your shirt and go down to Riverside Park with a longboard and a guitar. Thankfully, God has given us 
some weapons besides our, our, in addition to our prefrontal cortex and the ability to choose a response, God has given us some weapons in the war in our minds. When panic hits, when a situation happens, how do we choose a different response? So I want to look at a passage of scripture together today. It's Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. Before I read this, before I put it on the screen, I want you to picture these words as we read them. Uh, These words were written by the apostle Paul from a Roman prison where he would literally live out the rest of his days and he knows it. He knows he's not getting out. He's been put there because of uh, his work for Christ and these are the words he says from that prison. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." What, what Paul gives us here is, I'm just going to call three weapons. In addition to our prefrontal cortex that God has given us, we have three weapons, if you choose to engage with them, that will allow us to choose a different response and reclaim our lives in the battles that we're in. So let's look at these together. The first one of these three weapons is rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. That's so incredibly significant But what I want you to see there is Paul does not say rejoice in your circumstances always. Because sometimes you can't rejoice in your circumstances, can you? Sometimes the circumstances you are in do not allow you to rejoice. He doesn't say rejoice in the answers to all of your questions. He doesn't say that. Because sometimes you can't rejoice in the answers because you don't have answers to your questions. You don't know why something's happened. You don't know where the future is heading and taking you. He says rejoice in the Lord always. That's powerful because that's something you can always do. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what answers you have or do not have, you can always choose to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. Uh, the week before this last one, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. I was serving as a chaperone for my son John's eighth grade class trip. And so uh, there was all this preparation that went into the trip, and they told us as chaperones, the whole time uh, we're going to have this small group of students, and we're all going to be going around to see all the sites in Washington, D.C. And they said, be prepared. You're going to be walking seven to eight miles a day the entire week, every single day, seven to eight miles a day, you're going to be walking with this group of students that you're chaperoning. And I was pumped about it. I was excited to go. So we're on the bus. Uh, we're somewhere in Pennsylvania. We're on the first rest stop of the trip out to Washington, D.C. My son, John, gets off the bus. He runs up behind one of his buddies. He jumps on his back. And as he's coming down, he steps on his buddy's foot, turns his ankle, rolls it, sprains his ankle really, really bad. It swells up like a potato. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever gone, had that happen. Immediately, like, he can't put any weight on it. And that's at the first rest stop. And literally, it's like, what are we going to do? We, it's going to be seven to eight miles walking a day. And I've got these other kids I'm supposed to be looking out for. We had a moment there between that event happening of how we were going to choose our response. 
And so literally at that rest stop, we, we literally, we made the decision, we are going to choose our response. We're going to choose to rejoice even in this moment. We're going to choose to rejoice that God has us here, that he's, he's allowed us to, to be on this trip, and that we're going to get to do this together. And we just made this conscious decision, our, our response here, the way we're going to act is we're not going to let this, this stop us. We're not going to let us keep us from seeing the things that we came here to see. We're going to just lean into this and trust that God has a plan in the midst of this situation. And so for that entire week, I pushed my son, John, in a wheelchair all around Washington, D.C. Uh, this is a picture of us and, and uh, the group there. That's him in the wheelchair there in front of the White House. And, and we pushed him, I pushed him in this wheelchair for the entire week. Let me tell you some of the places we went. Mount Vernon, Capitol Hill. If you've never been to Washington, D.C., here's how I would describe D.C. It's basically just a series of hills. That's all it is. Everything's up a hill. Every, everything you go to is just up a hill. At one point, we're going up a hill, and I'm like, can you please use your arms? And he actually, he put down his bag of chips and was like, okay. <laughs> and he actually helped a little bit. <laughs> Here's what I would tell you. We had an incredible time. We had a blast. And we made some incredible memories. Uh, in fact, I think we will look back on that trip and we will actually rejoice more and we will actually laugh more and have better memories of that trip because of what happened and because of the, the wheelchair and the ankle. And be, and, but not just because of those things, but because of how we chose to respond. I'm telling you, things do not have to be as bad as they are in your life. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy by the ways that we choose to respond to the things that happen. You can always choose to rejoice in the Lord no matter what situation you're in. And it makes all the difference. So that's the first one, rejoice. The second thing Paul, the second weapon Paul gives us in this war in our minds is prayer. He says, don't be anxious about anything but by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Here's how we've got to train our, mind, our minds to think. If you're experiencing any sort of burden, whatever is a burden in your life, whatever is, is too big for you, whatever feels heavy, those things are an invitation. We've got to start looking at those things as an invitation to come to Jesus and to offload the burdens that we face to him. Over and over again, those are Jesus' invitations. Cast your cares upon me. Uh, you know, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to do that. I love this line. It, it was said in the book, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If something's big enough in your life to worry you, it's big enough to go to God and offload to him. And, and in fact, that's the relationship he wants with us. He invites us to that, to have that kind of relationship. Now, oftentimes when we talk about prayer, uh, we understand that prayer changes the heart of God and he, God absolutely does get involved in our lives and in our circumstances. But another interesting thing about prayer, and it talks about this in the book, is that prayer actually has the ability to change the chemistry of our brains and the way we think. So we're going to look at a quote. Uh, this is from Caroline Leaf. She's a cognitive neuroscientist. I did some, uh, from the research I could uh, find on her, I don't think she's a Christian, which is really interesting because what she says is 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Isn't that amazing? This type of prayer seems to increase activity in brain areas associated with social interaction compassion and sensitivity to others. 
It also increases frontal lobe activity, that's the prefrontal cortex, as focus and intentionality increase. So prayer actually has the ability to change us, to change our brains when we go to him. Now, this is not the kind of prayer where, you know, I prayed one time when life just got so bad and I was at the end of my rope. No, this kind of prayer we're talking about is a habit. It's a daily time where we just come to God and we just offload. For me, it's first thing in the morning. I grab a cup of coffee, I sit down, I open the word of God, and then literally what I do every morning, the way I begin my day is I just quietly just say, okay, God, here's what feels heavy right now. Here's what, here's what, as I'm thinking about my day, here's what I woke up thinking about, here's what's kind of weighing on my mind, and I just offload it to him. And that's what he invites us to do. And when we do that, when we actually make that the habit of our lives, it changes us. And the way it, it not only changes and rewires our brain, it not only touches the heart of God, but the third weapon that we engage with, it brings the peace of God into our lives. Don't be anxious about anything. By prayer and petition, present your request to God, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, peace is what every single one of us ultimately wants. It's what people want the most, especially in our world over the last few years. It's, it's become harder and harder to find peace. People want to, to experience peace in their lives. What's so amazing about this is that peace, God's peace anyway, is what you find on the other side of prayer. It's the only way you find it, according to Scripture. So in other words, God does not give us his peace so then we feel good and then we can go to him in prayer. It, prayer is what happens in our lives that brings us to a place where we experience God's peace. In other words, if you're not experiencing peace in a certain area of your life, you ain't done praying yet. Get back in your prayer closet. You haven't prayed yet uh, to a place. And maybe I'll just say this. Maybe you're, you've tried to pray about it and you're still not experiencing peace. I thought Carol Ann just did such a great job talking about our, our prayer ministry here at Frontline. Um, but we talked about the banner. If you're here physically in the room, you can see it at the back of the room but would love to have you pray with us. We'll have people to pray at the end of both of our services today. And um, maybe what you need to do is you need to engage someone else and say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you be in this with me? Sometimes things are so heavy and we struggle, we actually need to invite other people in to pray with us. And that's when we can experience peace. If you're watching online, we, there's a way you can do that as well. You can go to our website, frontlinegr.com, and click the next steps area, and you can let us know there about a prayer request, and we will pray for you. We want to do that as a church. We want to be praying for one another. But, but peace is what we get when we pray. Just really think about that for a moment. The goal, Paul is saying in this passage, the goal of prayer is not change circumstances, Although that does happen, I, I do think God gets involved in our circumstances when we pray. But that's not the goal of prayer. The goal of prayer is not answers, that I would get an answer to all my questions. He, Paul doesn't say, uh, you know, don't be anxious, but pray, and then God will, you know, answer your prayers. He'll give you everything. He says, no, the goal of prayer is peace. The goal is of prayer when we pray is that we would experience the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, all need to have answers, all need to, to have it all make sense to us. And that peace is actually what changes us in the midst of our circumstances. 
Now, if I could, I just want to say one quick thing about peace. And this isn't from the book, but sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, I tried that. I became a Christian and I began to pray. And, you know, God didn't bring me any peace in my life. Why is that? Well, here's what I would say. When you become a Christian, when you trust your life to Jesus, uh, immediately there are certain areas of your life that are brought to peace. Uh, Fear and anxiety about the future, about death are brought to peace. But I would say this, other areas of your life are actually brought to discomfort. And those are areas of sin and disobedience where you need, God, God is inviting you to bring those areas to him and repent. So, God, because he loves you and because he wants to transform you, there are areas of your life when you become a Christian where you actually will experience less peace because those are the areas of sin and disobedience. And sometimes people are like, why don't I feel better about that? And it's because there's a clear area of life where you need to repent. But here's the good news. First John says that if we confess our sins to God, if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if if we come to Jesus and if we offload our burdens to him and we repent of our sin, he brings peace into our lives. He really does. As I think about like what causes me the greatest panic in my life, where where have I experienced the greatest amount of that over the last several years? Um, Many of you know this, but every six months I go in for full body CT scans And the purpose of those CT scans is to determine whether the cancer is still in remission. So uh, one month ago, this month in May, I finished uh, a round of chemo. And so the scans have been good. I've gone back. uh, So far, everything's been good. But but here's the way those scans work. And I hope nobody ever actually has to experience this that's hearing me right now. But what you do is you go in and you have these full body CT scans. And then there is this period of time where you wait. And days go by. Sometimes a week or more will go by where you don't know the results of those scans. And so for me, that period of time where I'm waiting to find out those scan results are a time of great panic and great anxiety. I mean, I'm checking my chart all the time. You know, I'm constantly on that app. I'm constantly, I almost can't focus on things in my life. Uh, And it's a different, you know, it's a different level of anxiety than I've ever experienced. It's not like anything else you know, if you're waiting to find out for the mechanic to call you and tell you how much, you know, the repairs on your car are going to cost, I mean, there's a level of worry. There's a level of anxiety on that. If you're waiting for the laundry to be done, you know, to find out if the, you know, that stain came out of your favorite shirt, you're like, but it's my favorite shirt. There, there's a level of worry there. But when you're waiting for scan results, uh, when, when your life is at stake, that will determine a major thing in your life. My, the, the phrase I've coined for it, some of you heard me call it scanxiety. It's a totally different kind of anxiety that I can't relate to anything else in my life. Here's what I would tell you about that. The only thing I have found in this world that brings me peace in those days where I'm waiting for those CT scan results is my relationship with Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else. The peace of God that transcends all understanding and will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is a real thing. It's not just some platitude. It's an actual thing I experience, and it's an actual thing you can experience. 
If I'm willing to engage Philippians 4 and I'm willing to lean into my relationship with Jesus, he actually does bring that peace. When I rejoice in the Lord, when I pray and offload those burdens to him, and when I invite him into that situation, I, I experience that peace. I mean, maybe what you're saying is, well, how, how does a relationship with Jesus actually give you that peace? Maybe you think about what, what causes you to panic or what place in your life there's the most disruption and unrest. You say, well, how could a relationship with Jesus, you know, actually bring me peace? The only place we find an answer to that is at the end of the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, what it says is that Jesus, who was called the Prince of Peace, Prophet Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace, Jesus was burdened. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was alone. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was eventually crucified on the cross. And so Jesus took our place. He took those things which we deserved on himself so that when we look to him, when we fix our gaze on him, when he becomes our savior, when he becomes the one in whom we make our home, the refuge, the strong tower that we run to, when he becomes that for us, we actually get his joy and his peace that only he earned. That's how Jesus can offer it. I tell you that because you can go home and you can put these things into practice. You can say, well, I'm just going to try to rejoice, try to just be happy. I'm going to try to just pray, you know, about some stuff. But if Jesus hasn't become your Savior, your Lord, the place where you're making your home, it won't make a difference. The only thing that can bring peace is when you allow him to actually take, to do what he did, which was take your place on the cross and offer you his peace when you look to him. And so maybe for some of you, that's your next step. Your next step is just to say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I want you to be my savior. And you begin this walk with him, this relationship with him, where he's with you in the worst things of your life. He's with you in the best things of your life. And he is, he is the one in whom you're making your life. And for those of you who maybe put those things back up here on the screen, these three weapons, for those of you who know Christ, maybe what for you, what it is, is you just need to actually engage that relationship and, and engage the peace and the power you have by the Holy Spirit that's available to you in Christ that you're not taking advantage of. Maybe you're shouldering the burden yourself. You're carrying things that you were never built or meant to carry. You're letting your amygdala run your life. Your panic is just kind of at, at a breaking point. Maybe look at this. Are there any one of these three that just jump out to you? Maybe what you need to do is you need to, you need to choose a response. You need to choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Maybe what you need to do is you need to develop a habit of prayer. Maybe you need to go back to that banner at the end of this service or go online and let us know how we can pray for you. And when you do those things, maybe what you need to do is lean into the peace of God. Instead of leaning into a substance or leaning into something you can find on Netflix, actually pursue and lean into the peace of God. He wants to do that for you. Can I pray for us? So Jesus, we come to you now, just like you invite us to do. We thank you, Jesus, that the reason you can offer us peace is because you, as the Prince of Peace, took our place and experienced pain and rejection and suffering so that you could offer us 
your peace. And so we look to you now and we receive you, Jesus, uh, as our Lord. And we ask you to show us how, God, we can turn to you in, in the midst of everything that's happening. And God, would you allow us to reclaim our lives for you? You don't want us to go through life at a breaking point of anxiety and stress and worry. You want to offer us that peace that transcends all understanding. You want us to be able to choose a different response, to be able to rejoice in the midst of it. And so God, we look to you right now to allow us to do that. And we trust you that you are with us and that what you are doing is accomplishing a far greater glory, not only for this life, but for the next one to come. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, everybody said. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.